There's a thank you note on the back bulletin board from Santos and Sophie George. And I think it would be an encouragement for you to read through that as much of it is about you. Uh, it was directed at me, but um, I'm kind of just a messenger when it comes to those things. Uh, all those gifts that I brought weren't for me. And uh, I made that clear, and, and you'll see that in the note as well. Um, but I think you'll be encouraged by that. So, And then again, as we report about the trip, there, there's a, um, an audio version of that as well. So make sure that you'll be able to hear that also. If it is man that we fear most of all, then we will live a most miserable and a wasted life. Turn to Luke chapter 12 this evening. Luke chapter 12. There is no doubt that the life of a Christian is a life of difficulty. As I mentioned in my prayer early earlier that we must first go through suffering. This is not just an ordinary suffering that every human goes through. That That is part of it. But there's a special kind of suffering, a reproach that we receive as Christians because of our stand for Christ. And we must go through that in order to to make it to the glory that Christ has prepared for us. And so the life of a Christian is difficult. And that's why it's so important that we don't live in a way that that we fear man ultimately. That we live more like Daniel than we do like many of the godless kings of the past, like Saul cared more about the praise of men. If we fear man, ultimately we will live a most miserable and wasted life. But if we follow Christ and we fear God most of all, then certainly we will receive persecution, but we won't we won't uh, falter in the day of trouble. We won't falter in the day of persecution in order to please man. And what we learn tonight in Luke chapter 12 is that there is no neutrality with Christ. You can't just say, well, I, I could take Him or leave Him. I'm not really sure where I stand with Him. You either accept Him or reject Him. You are either for Him or you are against Him. That's what we saw in Luke 11 a few weeks ago. But if you're going to be committed to Jesus, you need to be completely committed to Him. If you're going to follow Him, you need to be sold out to Him. If you're going to give yourself to Him, you need to give your whole heart to Him. So let's begin this evening by reading Luke chapter 12, verses 1-12. through We'll cover all the way through 34 as we study, but... Just to begin, we'll read just the first 12 verses. This is the Word of God. Under these circumstances, after so many thousands of people had gathered together that they were stepping on one another, He began saying to His disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, 
after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And I say to you, everyone who confesses Me before men, the Son of Man will confess Him also before the angels of God. But he who denies Me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Although the life of the Christian brings trouble, we must depend upon God for everything. Similar to the idea of Daniel chapter 2 this morning, that because God is in control of everything, we must depend upon Him. Tonight, although the life of a Christian brings trouble, we must depend on God for everything. In verses 1-12, through we see that we must not fear man most of all. We must not fear man most of all, or ultimately. In verses 1-3, through Jesus begins by showing us the danger of hypocrisy. Have you ever been pressured to conform in times of prosperity? If you had everything that you wanted in terms of money and relationships, fulfillment of dreams? Have you been pressured to to conform to the standards of this world? Do you think that you would be pressured to conform to someone that you didn't even respect? Of course not. You're going to conform yourself to someone that you respect or that you're fearful of. The pressure to conform is greatest when the prosperity is gone. It is most difficult when you are without something that you want and you're leaning on someone else. Jesus wants us to know that as His followers, we must not give in to that pressure. And He uses the negative example of the Pharisees. They are like leaven. You've got to watch out for their teachings and their way of life. People like the Pharisees are dangerous because the, the Pharisees lived for the praise of men. They lived in order to please and impress people why you saw them making a big show when they would give their money or when they would say their prayers. And yet, in secret, they were not doing those things. They didn't believe those things were important. All of their actions were governed on, on whether people were watching and how much praise they could receive for themselves. And Jesus wants us to know that if we live like that, our deeds will be exposed. Look at verse 2. But there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will be not be made known. That is, with regard to the way the Pharisees live and for the praise of themselves and for people to see them and praise them, those deeds will all be exposed. There's nothing that's going to be hidden right now that won't one day be revealed and judged. And the reason for that is because there is nothing hidden from God. At the day of judgment, all will be exposed. It will all be brought to light. That's what verse 3 is about. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. What you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. There is coming a day when the Pharisees will be judged, when we will stand 
and give an account for what we have done, whether it be good or evil, at the judgment seat of Christ. For unbelievers, it will be at the great white throne judgment. And for them, there will be nothing that they can say. There is no blood to cover their sin at that judgment. The danger of hypocrisy. In verses 4-12, through 12, we see the importance of overcoming the fear of man. The, the importance of overcoming the fear of man. There are three reasons that we should not fear man most of all. Three reasons. First, there is a greater death than physical death. There is a greater death than physical death. In verses 4 and 5, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. After that, they have more, no more that they can do to you. One of the greatest fears that we have in life that's common to man is death. And yet, Jesus says, don't make that your greatest fear. Don't be most fearful of those who can just take your life. And the reason for that is there is a greater death than physical death. And that's shown to us in verse 5. But I warn you, whom you are to fear, fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The emphasis is on reverencing God more than man. Man can do damage to you. They can take your life. But they can't take your soul. And so fear God most of all. That's why Jesus says, I warn you. Okay, this is serious stuff. Fear the one. Do not fear the one who can kill only your body. Verse 7, at the end of the verse, do not fear, you're more valuable than sparrows. So, so Jesus is trying to help us to overcome our fear of man. Don't fear what could happen to us. Fear what God could do to us. Fear the consequences of our sin. There's a greater death than physical death. The, third, the, the second reason not to fear man most of all is because no one cares for you more than God. We sang that this morning. No one cares. No one ever cared for me like Jesus. There's no one who cares for you more than God. You see that in verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear you are more valuable than many sparrows. The point is that these sparrows are insignificant birds. They're unclean birds. And so, does God care for them? Does God care for even the most significant of birds? And the implied answer is, yes, He does care for even the most insignificant of birds. And if He does that, then why would He not care about you? Why would He not know what's going on with you? There's an argument here, again, from lesser to greater. He does care about those who are most insignificant, these five sparrows. And so because He does that, He certainly cares for you. And so you don't have to fear what man can do to you. Notice what He does not say. He does not say in verses 6 and 7 that these sparrows will not die. That they will be able to live forever. He does not say that they will not be sold but that no matter what happens to these pharaohs, God knows about it and He cares about them. And He knows what's going on in the life of a sparrow. And the same thing is true for you. He hasn't promised that you avoid trouble and death. He hasn't promised that. But He has promised something greater. That just like He cares for and knows about the most insignificant of birds, 
He cares about and knows about you. And, and, and I, I would say, actually, in a greater way, He cares about and knows about you. His care is further seen in His knowledge of you in verse 7. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. For some of you, it's much easier to know the number of hairs on your head, or should I say some of us, it's much easier to know the number of hairs on our head. But God knows. God knows everything about you. There's nothing hidden from God. And that should help us to avoid or to turn from that fear of man that that grips us and paralyzes us from doing and obeying God, from doing what God has called us to do. If we don't recognize that God knows everything about us and that He cares about us and that He will act uh, uh, on our behalf, then we will act faithlessly because we'll be thinking about the harm that it might bring. But Christian, be assured that you are more valuable than any sparrow. God knows about you. He cares about you. He knows everything about you. So do not fear men and what they can do to you. The first way we overcome the fear of man is by recognizing there's a greater death than physical death, verses 4 and 5. Secondly, that no one cares more for you than God, verses 6 and 7. And then thirdly, that there is a greater rejection than man's rejection. There's a greater rejection than man's rejection, verses 8 through 12. This is the third reason why we should not fear man most of all. Jesus is telling us here that He is going to stand before the angels and confess or deny you before God. That He's going to make an assessment of you based on how you treated Him. Based on your standing before God. Verse 8, And I say to you, everyone who confesses Me before men, the Son of Man will confess Him also before the angels of God. But he who denies Me before men will be denied before the angels of God. The angels of God serve as witnesses, not that they're the final authority. Again, think back to the Old Testament. The Jews revered the angels of God because they were the ones who handed down the law of Moses to the Jews. Actually, the two Moses, in Deuteronomy 33, it says that they were there at the mountain when they passed down the law. And so they actually call it the law of the angels. And so the Jews revered the angels in a great way. And Jesus says, one day I'm going to stand with them and they're going to stand as witnesses in the courtroom of God. And I'm either going to reject or accept you. And that means that if you care more in this life about the praise of man than you do about the praise of God, then you will be denied by Jesus at the final judgment. Joel Green states it this way in his commentary, public acknowledgement of Christ leads to heavenly acknowledgement. Public denial of Christ leads to heavenly denial. It's very simple in in the way that Jesus lays it out. We must not fear man most of all because there is a greater rejection than the rejection that you will face by people in this world. And it's a rejection by Jesus at the final judgment. Jesus goes on to clarify what public denial looks like in verses 10-12. through We want to know what that looks like of denying Christ. It means denying everything about Christ. It's not here, okay, don't think of a hasty statement against Jesus that in a, in a moment of weakness, you deny Him. Can you think of someone who made a hasty statement against Jesus? Peter, right? Believer or unbeliever? Believer, right? We know that. 
So this is not a hasty statement. He, he thinks, you know, uh, you know, I don't really know Christ. I'm not really willing to. So that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying this is actually a way of life that you've actually turned your whole life away from Him. Okay, think Judas, not Peter in this case. Peter did make a hasty statement against Christ, but he didn't actually turn away from Christ fully and finally. He actually came to repentance. He, he recognized his sin. Judas did not. What does this public denial look like? It's called what Jesus calls it the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, verses 10 through 12. Everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Public denial. In this case, Jesus calls it the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's very difficult to understand what this phrase means and what it means for us. It could be a one-time sin that only the Pharisees could commit. That is, that Jesus was there. He's offering them the kingdom. He's showing them all the signs that they needed to believe. And yet they still reject Him. And at the height of His ministry, at the culmination or at the crescendo of many of these miracles, they actually attribute His works to the works of whom? The devil. Right? So that's what it could be. It could be something that only the Pharisees could commit. And I know some good men, uh, some, of, some of the uh, professors even at our seminary that believe that this is the case. That that's what this sin refers to. It also could be something that anyone could do. That even we could do. That we could commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I have taken this to mean that we can commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, that we actually can turn away from the faith. And I know some good men, again, who believe this way as well. So this is not something that we can die over because it's difficult to know what the, the right thing is. But based on my understanding of the Scriptures, it seems to me that, that that is something that we can do, that we can reject Christ, that we can fully turn away from Christ when we have been presented with the truth. Again, this is not just a one-time thing or, you know, in Peter's case, a three-time thing that happens and then we repent. It's something that happens and then we continue on. Turning away from Christ. We've given up on Him. We've attributed His works to the work of the devil. You say, no, Jesus is not the Messiah. Jesus is not the promised One of God. Whatever the case, whether it is a one-time thing that the Pharisees could do or something that any of us could do, it should sober us. should warn us should be a, a loud blast of warning. Don't fall away from Christ. It should sober us. It should wake us up. But it should not paralyze us. It should not go so far as to just cause us to stand there unmoved by what God is doing and what we ought to do. It should remind us of the severity of sin. That sin requires a great payment. And a, the, the worst kind of sin that we can commit is unbelief. It's turning away from Christ. But it also should remind us of the depths of God's grace. That apart from His loving condescension and regular 
and continual forgiveness that we would stand condemned before God, that Jesus would stand on that final day and say, depart from me, I don't know you. Or in terms of His relationship to God, I don't know them, Father. Send them away. That should sober us. But it also should remind us of His grace, that God is merciful enough to give us a standing before Him that comes on the basis of the finished work of Christ. And that happens when we believe in Christ. We believe in His resurrection and we are believing and repenting all the way until the end. Jesus concludes this section by promising the Spirit's help to the disciples when they would stand in the face of persecution. I've mentioned before that I don't take this to mean that you know when you're ready to witness that you'll have the words that you need to say. That's not what Jesus is promising here. It's a promise that He's giving to His disciples. And I don't think that this transcends all disciples. I think this is something that was just for them since they didn't have the completed Scripture for them. We now do. Jesus is saying that He's going to be with them. The Holy Spirit's going to guide them. So, in verses 1-12, through 12, we see that we must not fear man. In verses 13-32, to 32, we see that we must not depend on our own possessions or on the possessions of this world. We must not depend on our possessions. He begins in this section by showing us the danger of greed. Jesus is approached here by a young man who is apparently characterized by greed. And the reason that I think that is because Jesus follows His question with a warning. Beware of greed. We'll see that in verse 15 when we get there. So let's begin by reading verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But He said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not every one, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I'll store my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many good goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus is approached by this man who is apparently characterized by greed because he says beware of greed. I think he here turns to the disciples and says, watch out for this kind of thing. In order to show the danger of greed, Jesus uses a story of a man who was greedy. Before we get to that story, what you ought to recognize is that this man is not just looking for you know, the highest court. Like, okay, Jesus, I would go to the supreme court of the land to find out how this inheritance issue should be settled. But I'm going to you because I recognize that you are higher than the, the, the highest court in the land. It's not the idea here. Instead, he's saying, listen, I've got a problem with how my brother and I are, are, are dividing up the inheritance. This is probably an older brother. He probably should get a double portion of the inheritance and for some reason he's not. Whatever the case, Jesus is saying, that's not the importance. The, the importance is not your possessions. 
don't worry so much about the possessions, the, the money. And he uses a story to show him that he was greedy and to show us how not to be greedy. And in this story, verse 16, there's a farmer who was all about himself. He lived for his own possessions. And he lived with no thought of God, right? We see that in his statement to himself. Soul, verse 19, you have many goods laid up for years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. There's no talk of God's desires. There's no talk of building barns with first having prayed about it and asked God's will and, and, and giving to God's work. There's no talk of any of that. All it's about is his own pleasures and spending it on himself. And, and God says, listen, I can take all that away from you. And then what are you going to say to your soul? I'll have your soul. And what will happen to all those goods that you worked for? And so the point is, and we must not be rich toward our own possessions and our own toward our own money. Build up riches for ourselves. Instead, verse twenty one, we should be rich toward God. Don't store up treasures for yourself. Don't spend your life working for yourself and never caring for for the purposes of God or the needs of others. Beware of greed. We must not fear man. We must not also depend upon our possessions. The the sin of greed is a very dangerous sin. In verses 22-32, He shows us that we must overcome the fear of loss. That we must overcome the fear of loss. He begins this section by showing us that we must not worry. Because life is more than our possessions. There are three reasons not to worry. Verse 24, Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. This is in contrast to this farmer who makes all these storehouses for all of his crops. And yet, we have the ravens. These unclean bird of prey. And yet, God cares for them. Let's look at the context here before we get too deep into uh, what Jesus is telling us about worry. Verse 22, And He said to His disciples, For this reason I say to you... So here we see that it's connected to this last idea of greed. Don't, don't worry about those things. Don't worry about the fear of loss. Don't worry about your possessions because God is caring for your possessions. For this reason, verse 22, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? And if then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, Not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will He clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink. And do not keep worrying for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. 
Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father is chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. This passage is about avoiding the sin of worry. Several times he says, do not worry. How much help can worry be? Do not be afraid, he says in verse 32. And so there are three reasons not to worry. First, you are more valuable than the least valuable of birds. Okay? These ravens are unclean birds. The Jews could not eat them. And they were birds of prey. And, and yet you are much more valuable to God than those birds. And yet, we see in verse 24 that God cares for them. They don't sow, sow nor reap. They don't have storehouses. Or they keep all their food. But God cares for them. You are much more valuable than they. second reason we must not worry is because we don't have ultimate control of our life. Verses 25 and 26. Verse 25, Who can add a single hour to his lifespan? Okay, who of us, by worrying, can, can make it to 25 hours in a day? What good does our worrying do? And then he goes on to say, if that's, not, if that's not possible for you, then why do you worry about the bigger things? Why do you worry about what's happening in the government? Why do you worry about what's happening in the world? If you can't do anything by worrying, what good is it? There is no value. It's wasted energy. Instead, we need to be confident that God cares for us and that He always gives us what is best. If you can't do anything, something so small as one day, and add another hour to it, why would you be able to handle bigger matters? Verse 26. Instead, we need to recognize that Jesus, or that God, responds to our requests. Turn back to chapter 11. Just remind you of this passage here what God tells us to do when it comes to concerns about life. It is right to be concerned about the things of life. Okay, but it is wrong to worry. Instead of worry, we must do this. Verse 9, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by a son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Friends, you don't have ultimate control of life. You can't control the things of life ultimately. You have some influence on what happens in your life and in the, the, the larger world, but you don't have ultimate control of your life. And so don't worry. Don't worry about the things of this life. First, because you're more valuable than ravens. God cares for you. Second, because you don't have ultimate control. Third, you are better clothed than lilies and grass. You are better clothed than lilies and grass. God clothes nature beautifully. He cares for all of their beauty. And yet, like, yet this grass is only here today and gone tomorrow. The grass is that thing that that is quickly burned up and gone. And the point is, does not God care for you more than the grass of the field, than the, than the lilies of the field? And the implied answer is absolutely He does. You are much more important than something that's here today and gone tomorrow. 
You are a soul that will last forever. And therefore, you don't have to worry about God's care for you. And that's what verses 29-31 tell us. Do not seek what you'll eat or what you'll drink. And do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. They're constantly worrying and being all frenzied in order to get these things. Instead, verse 31, at the end of verse 30, your Father knows what you need. And verse 31, therefore, seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. Instead of worrying, make God's priorities your priorities. Let Him take care of your life. Entrust Him. Trust the Lord in in all your ways. Make His priorities your priorities. And then verse 32, don't be afraid, little flock. In seeking the kingdom first, you should expect that there's going to be persecution and rejection. But whatever comes along with that, all the difficulties and the uncertainties that come along with, with standing for Christ, don't worry about it. But know that God cares for you. And look at this great promise at the end of verse 32. The Father has chosen gladly to give you His kingdom. Friends, you are a part of God's future kingdom. If God has given you a ticket to enter into that kingdom... Why would He not care for the rest of the things that are going on in your life? Right? He does care. He's gifted you with the greatest thing He could possibly give, His Son and His kingdom. They're yours. Why do you care about these little things? Why do you worry about these things that are in comparison so small? We must not fear man. Verses 1-12. through We must not depend on our possessions, verses 12 to 32. And then verses 33 and 34. We must recognize that we are accountable to God. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which you do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is along the same lines. This idea is along the same lines as verse 31. Seek the kingdom of God first. God will take care of the rest. Same idea as here. Seek the purposes of God by setting your eyes on the things above. Do you want a window into your heart? Do you want to know where your heart is in terms of your love for God, your relationship to God, your relationship to the things of this world? Look at your pocketbook. Are you doing an accounting of where your money is going? That will give you a good indication of where your heart is. That's a good indication of what you love most. Are you dependent upon God? Are you able to give to God when there is a need? Are you able to give to God just regularly and consistently without a great appeal? Or is your life all about you and your desires and building up your storehouses? You see, when you seek God's kingdom first of all, your treasure will be in the right place. And it will be in a place that's indestructible. No one can destroy it. Nothing will come in and deteriorate it. Seek God's kingdom first. Make sure that your heart is in the right place. God is worthy of our dependence. There's no value to worrying about life. I don't know if you are prone to worry. If you're prone to think about the things that could be 
Jesus tells us there's no value in worrying. And it actually reveals in our hearts a a um, a a lack of trust. When I say lack, I don't mean complete lack. Like we, we're not following Christ at all. Um, but a shortage of trust in God ultimately. That we've taken our dependence upon God and we've moved it down a little bit down the line here. Okay, dependence upon money knowing that all these circumstances are going to turn out the right way, and then God. Okay, so if I have enough money, if I know I can handle these situations, then great. If I can't, then I'll turn to God. And God's saying, no, put me back at the top. Okay, seek everything about me first. Don't worry about those other things. Because I control them all. I care for you. I know about them. You're not doing anything by worrying for sinning against God and, and not putting your trust ultimately in Him. Specifically, the kind of worrying that he's talking about is the kind of worrying that comes with the persecution because of our relationship with Christ. That there will be persecution. So disciples, when that comes, and I would say to us Christians, when that comes, don't worry about what kind of persecution can come. Okay, We, we can look at our society, our city, our state, and see what's going on say, man, there could be some really tough times ahead for, for our church. And yes, that could be the case. But what value is there to worrying? All right, we trust that God's way is best and that even if some of the privileges, the freedoms that we now have are taken away, that God will lead us. And we still will be able to be a church even if we have to do it in secret. Or even if we have to do it while receiving persecution, while some of us may be taken to jail. It's okay. Is God still in control when Christians are in jail? Is God Doesn't God not care about us when Christians are killed for the sake of Christ? Absolutely He cares. See, the sparrow is not free from trouble or death. They are sold, and the purpose for their being sold, by the way, for two cents, so they can be eaten. Okay, so we're not going to avoid those types of things unless the Lord comes first. We're not going to avoid trouble and death. But what we can be sure about is that God cares for us. So we don't have to worry about what the future holds. And you know, we, we know the end of the story, don't we? We know the last page. We've read the last page of the Bible. We know how it's all going to turn out. So we don't have to worry about what's going to happen between now and then. We can just entrust our lives to God and trust our treasures to God, and trust all of, of us to God, and recognize that He will take care of all those things. Our worrying doesn't contribute to His kingdom. But if we have not sought God's kingdom first, we will fail in the face of persecution. And Jesus says, if you falter in those days, make sure that there's repentance that follows. Right? Like Peter, make sure that there's repentance that follows. Don't turn away from me finally because you've been so so gripped to the things of this world that all you're worrying is about those things. Because what can happen is when we worry about those things too much, we can lose our grip on, on God. Like, God, I don't depend upon You anymore. I need more money. I need more control over my circumstances. 
The life of the Christian brings trouble greater than the average human, but we must depend on God on everything. Because He is in control of all these things, we can trust Him. So seek God's kingdom first. Put your treasure where your heart is. Make sure your your treasure is in a place that is indestructible. That is, that it's focused on eternal things. Let's pray. Father, we ask for Your forgiveness for worrying about the things of life. We worry about our finances. We worry about our relationships. We worry about our freedoms. We worry about our church. We worry about all sorts of things in life because we have a shortage of trust in You. Lord, may we trust You wholeheartedly because the life of following Jesus is a life of wholehearted dependence upon Him and obedience to Him. Our dependence is shown in our obedience and so we pray that You'd help us to obey both out of a duty because we recognize our responsibility and out of a love and a passion for serving Him. Lord, we ask for more grace because we we can be gripped and paralyzed by the fear of man, what they can do to us. We can be gripped and paralyzed by the fear of the loss of possessions. There's nothing greater that we can experience in this life than loss. And and yet, we know and we have promises in Your Word that You'll be with us all the way, that You care for us, You know everything about us, even down to the number of hairs in our head. And that You have everything planned out and You certainly clothe the, the lilies, the grass of the field. You, you know about the sparrows that are being sold. You know about the ravens. How much more do You know about us and care about us and lead us or help us to depend upon You more? And Lord, make it tangible for us so that we can see the progress that, that You are making in our lives. We can think back to the times when a, a circumstance that might have otherwise previously, even as a Christian, have, might have gripped us and paralyzed us and just uh, shook us to the point where we didn't know what to do. Now, because You are maturing us, we see that that we depend upon You and those things that once took hold of our lives, now we've entrusted to You. We don't fear what man can do to us. We fear what You could do to our soul. We fear what could happen at the judgment. We finally turn away from You. Lord, we, we fear You most of all. So we pray for Your help. Lord, this is no small thing to, to avoid and to turn away from worrying. Lord, I, I recognize that some people are more prone to it than others. And so I pray especially for them that they would lean heavily on this passage and on Your promises. Help them to have a, a special sense of Your presence and Your nearness. And for each of us not to get caught up in the possessions of this world, worry about storing up treasures for ourselves, 
without a view toward you and toward others. Lord, provide for us and allow us to be able to take care of our responsibilities in life as well as to be able to give towards the needs of others, specifically our most important responsibility, which is the church of Jesus Christ, which has been raised up and bought by His blood and given to us entrusted to us to be used for your glory to bring more people into the kingdom we look forward to that day when he will reign when all the things of this world that that do grip us with fear will be of no value will be of little thought in that day because we will be thinking of greater things and we will have an eternal perspective Lord, give us a, a Give us a portion of that perspective even now as we depend upon You. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.